Hey, well, welcome back, everyone. We're here on another episode of How I Got Here, and we're joined by the one and only Harry Goldberg. Um, many of you know Harry is just one of the most incredibly talented, motivated, interesting, and kind-hearted people um, here at Berkeley. And um, Harry, welcome to the show. Excited to have you. Yeah, thanks, Brian. I'm excited to be here. Well, Harry, as you know, um, the the motivation behind these conversations is largely to get to know each other better and. Maybe would you mind just starting by giving us a perspective about your upbringing, um, where you grew up, and who was involved with your life? Absolutely. I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I moved around from starting off kind of in the, the city or inner city, and then eventually moved my way out to the suburb. I am a twin brother, so um, kind of a I want to get ahead, maybe get ahead of a question you may ask is he's fraternal and he currently lives in Pittsburgh and is involved with uh, politics and political campaigns. Uh, so my twin, Reed, and I um, we grew up in Pittsburgh our whole lives, uh, two parents and, and dogs. And eventually um, I moved to Atlanta um, so I could pursue an undergrad at Emory. So I think that's a, I kind of glossed over at this point, roughly 18 years of life. So um, let me know where you'd like to dig in or where, or where I should go next. Yeah, Harry, and I guess you mentioned you have a twin brother. Um, what was that like? I mean, not many of us know what it's like to have a twin, much less a fraternal twin. Um, did, did you guys get along? Was it kind of, you guys were at, uh, kind of at the hip the entire time you were growing up or what was that like? Yeah, so what's funny is we, uh, I don't know any different life. Um, I was a twin from the second I was born and, and this was my only uh, sibling. Um, you know, it's kind of funny during, um, uh, where I, I am Jewish, we're Jewish and uh, in our bar mitzvah, which is kind of um, a Jewish teenage rite of passage, um, also similar to like a quinceanera, potentially sort of for um, people of Hispanic community. Uh, but in our, in our bar mitzvah, the kind of story that my mom shared was that Harry or Harrison and Reed are as different as night and day, black and white, but sometimes are similar with different shades of gray. And so, um, yeah, we, we are different people with different interests, um, but we're definitely part of the same family um, and grew up together, yeah. And, and what was it like growing up in Pittsburgh? Um, was, I, I kind of imagine Pittsburgh as kind of this very picturesque um, kind of uh, community of, of, of residential areas. What was it like growing up there? So I can compare it to, you know, I lived kind of significantly in Atlanta. I actually spent a few months living in, in Prague, Czech Republic. After college, I spent a couple months in Chicago and then most recently in the Bay Area with Berkeley with school. And, and if I have to compare Pittsburgh from those experiences, uh, Pittsburgh is gray. Uh, Pittsburgh is gray and it is uh, rainy. Um, and especially when you compare it to like the South where it's all sunshine all the time or a lot of the time and warm. Uh, but aside from weather, Pittsburgh is comparatively, um, um, I'd say a blue collar town. Um, 
and a lot of kind of close community relationships and connections um, and familiarity with with your neighbor and with your different neighborhoods. Um, I really enjoyed it uh, being raised there. I was raised in a suburb and um, what's fantastic is since I've left is that the pits, the city has really grown in a, a significant um, an innovative way with, for example, Uber's driverless car uh, focus is, or team is all based in Pittsburgh and a bunch of other technology companies are, are there. So um, besides that, I really like the, the greasy food of Pittsburgh, the different sandwiches and, and <laughs> light night establishments. So it was, I, I enjoyed living in Pittsburgh and growing up in Pittsburgh. And Harry, you, you mentioned that um, kind of your, your, you and your brother, um, when you're, you were going through kind of um, your rites of passage at having your bar mitzvah that your your mom was describing is very different. Um, can you kind of expand on that? In what ways um, were you guys different? I mean, I can imagine as as young kids, did you already realize that when you were when you were growing up, or did not emerge till later? Yeah, so I think that in some ways, um, or in some kind of arenas or some situations, different groups of people. Um, he will be more outgoing than me, or in some situations, I'll be more outgoing than him. Um, you know, we had, we excelled in different types of, um, you know, separate and complementary academic areas. Um, and we focus on athletics in, in different ways. Um, and so it was kind of like a nice, you say, jigsaw puzzle in, in different types of the world that, you know, we focused on. Gotcha. And paint us a picture of what young Harry was like. Um, you're kind of, you're growing up in Pittsburgh, you're born there and you're growing up there. You go to elementary school. Um, wh what is that like? What does your daily life look like? The way I describe this is from what my mom has always told me uh, that she heard from second grade through high school and parent teacher, teacher parent teacher conferences. Uh, these were kind of moments when the parents would come in and speak one-on-one -on -one with the teacher about their, about their child, their student. And all the time is the, the, the teachers would say, uh, Harry is very intense and could use a little bit of time to calm down. I, uh, and, and probably for worse, um, not better, uh, that has mostly run true through this day. Um, I've always had a, a very kind of strong kind of intensity and, and focus um, and, and stress. But um, in some situations, it's, it's been useful from as it kind of drives aspiration. And that's interesting because I mean, many of you, many of us know you today as kind of a very driven individual and you channel kind of that drive to accomplishing some incredible things. Um, where do you think that came from? Was it just something that your parents instilled in you as kind of having to have that motivation or was it something intrinsic in your, in yourself? Uh, where do you think that came from? It's hard to put a finger on that. There definitely was, you know, strong support from my parents. I don't, I don't look back on my childhood and think my parents really rode me or pushed me hard. You know, you'll, you'll, I'll hear from, from friends uh, or other classmates during kind of moments where they'll say they had a, um, 
you know, a, a pushy parent or a parent really thought highly of them, or, you know, expected a significant amount about them. And it's not that my parents didn't push me or were lackadaisical. It's just, I personally think it's, they saw my more um, intrinsic motivation and didn't feel like they needed to add fuel to the fire. And in what ways would that manifest itself? Like in terms of that intensity, was it kind of your passion for learning um, a different sport or um, an instrument or um, wanting to dive deeply into learning about something? Uh, what did that look like? I've always wanted to do things, um, whether it be involved in numerous clubs in undergrad, or sorry, in, in high school or student government leadership roles. But these kinds of interests of doing things haven't stopped. I mean, in in undergrad, I was involved with a number of clubs and kind of took on um, a lot of roles. And then even at Haas, I was really kind of stretched thin by the number of times I've raised my hand to be involved with different groups. So it, it's just kind of, I, I, I think I see opportunities that appear interesting and, um, really go for them and, and kind of want to have an impact um, and want to learn and want to grow a lot. No, I think lots of, many folks can attest to kind of that, that level of, of kind of involvement. And I think it's really, really a pro. Um, so I guess backing up a little bit, um, when you're, when you're going, you're living in Pittsburgh now and um, kind of you are self-described as being very intense. Um, at times, but um, what what were you involved with um, kind of growing up? Um, was it uh, a lot of folks are interested in sports or music? Um, was that kind of the areas that you were focused on? <laughs> you nailed it, man. I uh, Exactly, sports and music. So starting in late middle school, I started getting involved with crew or, or, or rowing. Um, it's the long, thin boats uh, with very long oars or paddles that you, you kind of move along the, in my situation, the Allegheny River of Pittsburgh. Um, I was a, a rower all through middle school and high school, and that took up a significant amount of my time. And then furthermore, I played piano as well. And a lot of that piano was around thinking about thinking and being very mindful in my actions and in the way I learned. Um, top that on you know, with a, a whole bunch of academics, all the AP courses that our fellow Hossies probably took as well. And um, I had a pretty stacked schedule from that. Gotcha. No, and, and Harry, I guess, um, as many folks in the test growing up, like there's singular focuses and it sounds like crew and rowing was kind of the thing that you enjoyed doing, um, was that something that you found um, as just like you were going through all these different sports options or is that something your parents wanted you to try out for? Um, how did you get involved in that? And I guess playing piano as well. The crew was um, advice from my mom. I think a, a neighbor had started doing the sport and I had spent a little bit of time doing tennis before I had done swimming. And the sports didn't really stick that much, but rowing crew was like a kind of new and, and different thing. And, um, you know, it, all sports require intensity, absolutely. And, and, and rowing, what's interesting about that sport 
um, is, at least I remember reading a stat somewhere, is that um, the ratio of practice time to competing time is significantly higher in rowing as compared to other sports. It, it's, it's a sport where you have to just practice very hard all the time. Um, it gave me a sense of purpose. It gave me a sense of community. Um, it's a very tightly knit team sport where everyone absolutely depends on one another when you're in a race. So um, having just that bond of friendship, you know, friendships that last through today and um, some of them are very active and some of them are not active, but still would be significant. Um, uh, that was kind of what drew me to crew. And so I guess it's that, um, you know, almost ferocious intensity and competitiveness and training combined with, you know, deeply personal and tight connections with other people. And, and I guess one of the things to that point, Harry, is, is did you grow up with the same people kind of throughout your upbringing? I mean, a lot of folks, as, we, as we've heard, have kind of transferred different schools and kind of their friend groups have been disentangled because of switching to different high schools or even middle schools. Was, was this, it sounds like a pretty consistent, solid base of friendships that you established um, starting up from even your early years. Yeah, I was in the same school district or same school from second grade through graduation of high school. Uh, so it was a pretty, uh, you know, decently long time of consistency. And, and I guess, Harry, um, in terms of kind of what you were interested in, how did you, were there any changes kind of throughout your, your time in school that kind of um, made you approach things differently? I, I know that you mentioned in high school, you were actively involved in a number of different activities, whether it was student government or um, sports or, or other activities. Um, what, what was it like um, kind of growing up? Like, how did you start cultivating these different types of interests? Uh, well, I mean, I guess a, a transformational moment was um, in third grade, I had a pretty traumatic bicycle accident. Um, I was biking along in a, a velodrome, and it's actually a word I don't even know at the time, but it's that kind of track where speed bicycling happens, where the, the sides are banked or curved. And I was bicycling along that and I fell and I fell on my handlebars. And so um, what ended up happening is uh, significantly damaged my, my liver and I needed uh, trauma, you know, trauma surgery. And I ended up being in the hospital for four months in third grade. Um, you know, ICU for a number of weeks, um, had some complications, had some challenges. Uh, fortunately, I'm to my understanding, like 100% again, like there's no residual impact besides a scar going down um, basically my entire abdomen. But, um, you know, that moment of, you know, very much almost dying and then very much being in a hospital system as a patient recovering from pretty intense surgeries, life-saving surgeries, um, really left a mark on me, again, both physically and emotionally. 
and, and Harry, most of most folks know today that kind of you are so passionate about this this intersection of, of technology and, and healthcare. Um, is is that kind of where your interest in health started, or was it? Um, I guess what was that like? You're, you're in third grade and you just had these like really uh, this really intense incident. I'm so sorry to hear about that. Um, what what led you? Was was this a contributing factor, or how did that shape you? Yeah, man. Thank you. It was very contributing. When you're just in this strange environment that kids don't really get exposure to that much, maybe a little bit, but not four months, not a half dozen tubes stuck in your body and bells and whistles going off all the time, not becoming pretty close with numerous types of surgeons, nurses, allied health professionals, that kind of unique experience really did um, drive my interest in healthcare to the point where I was a, uh, I think the term they used was poster child of the hospital and supportive fundraising. And you know, they became very close with the clinical staff, but also administrators of the hospital. Um, you combine that significant life experience with the fact that my dad also worked and still do this day works in the healthcare technology space. Um, and I could just see the, the power of healthcare to help my life and the life of others that that really is the driving force as to why I'm so focused um, in the healthcare industry uh, at before Haas and during and hopefully after. And, and Harry, I guess we haven't really talked that much about your parents. Um, and so I know you, you just mentioned that your dad worked in health tech. Um, like, what was what was their influence on you like? Um, were they working a lot or? Sounds like they were pretty involved, at least in terms of being supportive of kind of you and your interests. Yeah, the, both parents worked actually. My mom worked uh, full time. My dad worked full time. Uh, my mom still does work to this day in the the construction industry of Pittsburgh. Um, and my my like I said, my father still works to this day in um, the healthcare technology industry and they both showed me kind of lessons of, of work really hard, um, but also to enjoy life. Um, I had, my dad traveled for work, not all the time, but far less than zero. Um, but whenever they were uh, in town and around, we had kind of meals together and dinner together and we spent time together. Um, they really, you know, I think about now all the different kind of diverse interests and activities that I have and that, you know, peers of mine do. Um, my parents comparatively worked really hard, spent time with us, and then while we were sleeping or busy doing other stuff, they kind of did their own personal activities or spent time with their friends. Um, but they don't, you know, they didn't have these you know, significant hobbies such as uh, going away for for sports or anything like that. They kind of made the, the trade-off or the decision that 
um, if I'm going to work at the capacity that I'm working, that I'm going to then also prioritize my kids and deprioritize some other stuff. And that's kind of been something that I've seriously thought about uh, in, you know, thinking about my upbringing, but also thinking about my future. And Harry, one of the things you mentioned earlier was was that you grew up Jewish and you had a bat mitzvah um, or a bar mitzvah. Um, were, were your parents pretty religious? Was that a pretty important factor growing up? Um, yeah, so that's it's like a relative term. We we did grow up religious in that I went to Sunday school until my bar mitzvah, and then that broadly stopped. Uh, we still went to and still to this day go to the kind of the major holidays in, in, in Judaism that they're called the high holidays. Um, and then, but also separately, I, I, from the moment after I finished my bar mitzvah, probably until, yeah, until I came to Haas, right before that, I went to um the the friday shabbat services or it's, it's the jewish sabbath services um, um every the first friday of the month almost every month um and that was either in pittsburgh or atlanta or elsewhere um it was something that was important to me to do to kind of um it almost kind of has a similar value of kind of meditation, which I focus on a lot more today of kind of finding some grounding, finding some peace, finding some uh, relaxation, um, even if I am not as, you could say, observant, I'm not orthodox, I don't keep kosher, I, I, I don't, um, you know, speak fluent Hebrew or, or kind of know all, all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like there's not many, many who do anymore, but um... yeah. And I, and I guess, Harry, um, you mentioned that kind of your dad was also in the health tech space. Did you ever really kind of realize what he was doing growing up? Is that kind of, would you, would you guys talk about kind of the things that um, he was working on and that kind of would help spur your interest? Um, what was that like? I just remember my own upbringing. I don't really even know what my parents were doing really, other than just in title. Yeah, I, I think I knew a little bit. I mean, I, I remember to this day where I would, uh, the kind of people would laugh when they said, when they heard me say as early as second grade that I want to be a businessman. Um, that probably was like a little bit of um, idolization of both my father and my mother, because my mother is also a, a, a businesswoman. Um, and so I, I kind of had an intuition, I think just through like osmosis, you kind of hear some of these things that your family does, but what has been kind of, you know, really fun, enjoyable in a way that's fond of my dad was, um, to this day, now that I'm much more well-versed in the healthcare industry, um, I can very much more understand what he was doing uh, over, you know, my past 30 years of life. Definitely. And, and Harry, so you're, you're, a young, you're a young boy, and now you're kind of, you're in Pittsburgh, and you're going through kind of elementary school, middle school. Um, can you describe what it was like to first start kind of high school? It sounds like kind of it was just a natural progression where um, you, you were kind of with the same people, you knew them, you had a friend group going on and um, kind of you had your group. Um, was it kind of high school that you started realizing what you really wanted to do? Um, I know you were actively involved in a whole bunch of things. Um, what was that like? Yeah, I'm just trying to dial back into that moment. 
so, so high school, you know, kind of, as I said before, I kind of wanted to be a businessman since like second grade, which is, which is funny and, and crazy. Um, but upon starting high school, there was a certain amount of ease of the transition given my, you know, in, involvement with sports. You know, from the day one that I was in high school, I was recruited onto the crew team. I knew people who were, you know, freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, and it allowed some of the transition, some of the process to be, I think, a little bit smoother and 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 um, more enjoyable. Uh, I I don't know. I. I was, for a time, I was really interested in, like I said, business. And eventually um, I changed my mind and was like, okay, I really want to do be a, a physician. Um, but eventually that switched back in the middle of, of college. Gotcha. And, and I guess, Harry, for, for many folks listening, um, kind of going through that college application process is something that's a pretty pivotal time. Um, cool. time of reflection and stress and um, kind of <laughs> self-doubt in some cases. And um, can you describe what that was like going through that process? Was it transformative or introspective or was it just something that you had to do because that was what was expected? It was rough. It was, I just, it was as rough as filling out the MBA applications. I mean, I, the Common App was still, was a thing, which is great. That was, I think, um, early, it was the early years where there wasn't just um, the two SAT sections. They added like the third one. Um, I think it was like the math, the reading, and I think the writing was added. Um, and it's funny because when I took my the GMAT the first time, that was when they just started doing the integrated reasoning section. So I got new sections for standardized tests both times. Um, <laughs> but yeah, filling out these applications, it was just like it's it's very challenging uh, to, and there's a lot of pressure to kind of get your best foot forward to to appear to the audience of the admissions directors that you know you are the best suited for the school. Um, you know, combine that with like the Pittsburgh dreary winter with snow, um, you know, combine that with, you know, every time you write this thing, you're, you're, you're writing, a, you're moving yourself forward along the path to the unknown, to the, to the time when you're away from all your friends, away from your family, away from your home city. Um, and so it was really kind of a, a taxing moment to me the whole time that was dreaded. And I'll kind of end by saying a, a very wise person told me who, who's my piano teacher, when I would complain to him week after week that I just didn't want to fill out these applications, I was sick of it. And I just can't wait for it to be over. He, he, he told me, um, things don't get easier. And that has stuck with me because I, I often find myself kind of hoping that I'll get over the hump. And, and it's not that life is always bad or always get worse. It's just things do become more complex, more rich, and sometimes more complicated. And so the, the, the challenges you will deal with today pale in comparison with actually being the college student of tomorrow. 
And, and was this piano teacher, I guess, one of the things that resonated is I didn't realize you were taking piano lessons up and through high school. A lot of folks, including myself, kind of stopped in, in middle school. Um, was he kind of the one that was with you kind of throughout your, your piano journey? Yeah, I actually started piano in my sophomore year of high school. Um, so I was a, a very late bloomer. Um, the piano teacher was actually recommended to me by my um, teammates on the crew team. Actually, my neighbor who we would drive, and one of my best friends, we would drive to practice every day, and we would talk about piano with this one teacher and how much they liked it, and I really wanted to jump in and try it out. And classes, lessons would be scheduled for an hour. I would say they probably ended up being anywhere from an hour and a half to three hours. And we probably touched the keys for a quarter of that time. Whereas much of the piano lesson was around thinking and around being present and around very, in, with a lot of intention, acting with piano, learning piano, and trying to look better understand yourself and your, your, the kind of craft. So that was a, a very impressionable and significant, you know, learning and journey for those three years that I did it in. Um, I, if only I, I just wish I had uh, started it earlier in my life. Oh, and it's interesting because I know a lot of folks realize that you're a very big advocate of meditation. Um, is, is that kind of the early inception of, of kind of how you came to realize that was something of interest? You know, I, my meditation journey started like way after that. But, you know, now that you bring that up and we talk about it, that probably was like meditation 0.1 for me. Just kind of being mindful of of my interactions, of my decisions, of my thoughts, um, and present in the moment, which kind of what is kind of what I think about the, the key tenets of, of meditation. Um, but actually meditation was um, kind of endowed upon me uh, by my uh, fiance, Rika, who you know. Um, we were between moving to living in Atlanta, where actually we both worked at Deloitte, to us moving to Berkeley uh, for my school and for her new job, we lived in Chicago for a summer. And she, with the kind of also guidance of my old roommate, kind of got into meditation. And that was right when I think like Headspace and Calm were, you got to the point where they're like, my guess is they're like users were moving from a linear to like an exponential growth. Like you finally got enough runway where you said, hey, it's not just headspace users are growing. Literally, it's actually exponentially growing. And that was a pretty, it's still, but still very early. And so that was two and a half years ago now. And I have used headspace every day. That's not true. I just had space 90% of the days for the past two and a half years um, oh, wow. uh, because of that. Um, well, well, Harry, I, I guess take a, take a step back and kind of go back to kind of when you're thinking about your high school years and you're applying to school and kind of you have this piano teacher who it seems like has had kind of an impact in a number of different capacities. Um, 
Can you describe what that was like in terms of deciding about where you're going to spend kind of that next four years in your undergraduate journey? Um, I mean, you're, you're a kid in Pittsburgh that um, kind of seems like it has, you have the world going for you in terms of getting involved in so many different things. Um, what was that like? Yeah, thank you. And again, I, I, I apologize. I keep getting out of myself. That's that, that's that intense, uh, fast, um, eager person in me trying to try and jump out of the story. Um, so to, to bring myself a little bit back is the decision to go to Emory. Admittedly, I don't remember to this day where else I got in, but I don't think I got into a bunch of other schools. I, pretty, I assume I applied to a number of schools, but I think it ended up Emory was the best that I got into. I mean, for me, the the biggest thing about Emory was that it was a top, I don't know, whatever school. I don't know what number at the time. It had, at first, I was interested in business, so it had an undergraduate business school. But then I switched to pre-med, so it had a pre-med, a really strong pre-med program. It was kind of a medium-sized school, not a huge school, because I wanted the sense of community to be able to kind of wrap my arms around a little better. But not too small, because I didn't want it to be kind of feel stale or the same all the time. It was located near a big city, um, Atlanta, but still not in the city, and there was very much a boundary of the school compared to like the rest of the world. So you had this nice transition from you know, living in your home cocoon before going out to the real world, that was like a nice version. And and then I say the most important things was that it was flat because I had done some <laughs> summer camps at some schools that were on a steep, steep hill. Um, and that really was awful. I didn't want to like walk up and down a steep, steep hill. Uh, it's crazy. Uh, and the other thing is that it was warm inside because I was filling out my applications during the snow and gloom of Pittsburgh during the winter. So I said, <laughs> It needs to be flat. It needs to be good weather. So um, I virtually only applied to schools below the Mason-Dixon line. Um, <laughs> so that's kind of what I, that's kind of how I thought about it. And then, and were you excited to go to Atlanta? I think for me, I, I know at least when I was growing up, I was just so um, so uh, a kid. Like I, I didn't want to move away. Like was that exciting for you, or, or how did what was it like to you you get into Emory, an incredible institution, and can you set on campus the first day? Were you, were you excited? What was what was going through your mind? Absolutely, I was excited for the adventure. I, it was actually funny, I was texting with my freshman roommate earlier today about some stuff, and it kind of, what you said, it kind of brings me back to those moments. And, you know, I remember being, again, very intense and organized. I went with my mom to the container store, which by the way, is the greatest store of all time. <laughs> um, and we went to the container store and got all the containers and got all the, all the things to keep me organized in my new home and my new dorm and so all that kind of stuff. And I was excited for the, the, the new adventure in the new world. Um, it was, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a kind of a fun beginning to my, my more adult life, more adult experience. And, and you mentioned, like, since you were so young, you always knew you wanted to be a businessman. So you started at, at Emory as, as a business major, is that correct? I actually started as a pre-med student. Um, it was it was during the application process after an application had been submitted, when I kind of took the pivot away from business and to pre-med, 
So I became a biology major on day one and was like the worst biology major of all time. I didn't do any research. I, um, you know, didn't, wasn't involved in like medical volunteerism. I was like a, a I was on a crew team at Emory and I um, really focused on, uh, I was also in a, a fraternity, a social organization. So really focused on those things. Um, but actually during, you know, I'll pause. I, I can feel myself getting ahead of, ahead of the question. So I'm, I'm going to pause right there. No, and I think it's, it's interesting, like just learning about kind of the things that you're involved in. Um, so I, it sounds like you're a pre-med student and kind of you, it sounds like you're interested in other areas. Was, was this fraternity that you're in, was that um, primarily social or was it also for um, professional purposes? It was social. I mean, yeah, it was absolutely social. And it was, um, I actually joined the fraternity in my second year after kind of all of my, at the time, closest friends. We had developed relationships. We had lived, to, we lived together and were really close throughout freshman year and then decided we wanted to kind of join a fraternity together. And so we joined the fraternity our sophomore year. Um, and then that just kind of piled on, um, you know, additional relationships that are, you know, very, very close friends through this day. And, and that, you know, that kind of squad of, or group of people that I was really tight with. And then you had the crew team who I spent, you know, four hours a day, every day with as well. And so that was my two uh, closest communities. Gotcha. And, and Harry, is, is, where, where did the business part come in then? It sounds like, um, as most of, most people know, like you eventually wanted to do um, kind of work in, in consulting. Um, was this something that you wanted to do kind of throughout your education or, or how are you spending your time? It sounds like a lot of it was with these close friends and, and, and crew. Is, is, is that kind of your primary focus or, or what were you doing um, during kind of the first couple of years of school? Yeah, it was a national, it was a, it was a, it was a pretty sizable shift. I mean, I was, I was taking some of the hardest biology classes I could find, all these pre-med things, and I was about ready to do the MCAT, um, or at least about ready to start thinking about preparing for the MCAT. And um, uh, some close friends who are my fraternity, as well as some other friends on the crew team told me, you know, hey, Harry, I, I see you're, um, have leadership roles in a variety of clubs. I was on you know, kind of, as I said before, I was, I kind of often find myself raising my hand to kind of help lead different organizations. So when you eventually kind of get to the point where you're on a half dozen school boards of different sorts, you know, my friends came to me and said, hey, you would really, I think, enjoy some undergraduate, MB, you know, undergraduate business um, like UGB, I forget what it's called, like undergraduate business, an undergrad MBA class. And it was, uh, I had to get like special approval to be in this class and it was like hard to get in. And basically it was leading people. So for our, for our, our friends at Haas, it was basically leading people. Um, but I took that as an undergrad. And as soon as I took that class, I just kind of fell in love with that way of problem solving, with those types of problems to solve and um, just that way of thinking. And it showed me that there's this thing called management consulting. And that's what things, that's when my focus changed. And, and were you focused on that? This was, I guess, during your sophomore or junior year? Is that when you started kind of diving exactly. in to, to realize you wanted to recruit for, for consulting? 
Exactly, yeah. And so the, the struggle was, you know, many top schools don't have an undergraduate business school. And so kind of the feeder into consulting is just kind of anyone, everyone. However, at a school like Emory, when they have an undergraduate business school, the people who do consulting almost exclusively are people in the undergraduate business school program. They've been groomed with their equivalent of a core and their equivalent of electives and their, you know, consulting internships and, and impressive internships throughout their entire undergraduate career where I was on a, a crew team during the summer and then, you know, shadowed a doctor at a hospital another summer. Um, and I did no clue what a case interview was. And so um, I spent a lot of time trying to recruit, um, build relationships with people and learn as much about the industry um, to get that internship. And again, it was, it was truly a competition of, you know, the, 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 the three intern spots, um, for example, Deloitte had for undergraduate interns, you know, that was a, a, a competition and that, um, at least from the internship perspective, unfortunately did not work out for me. Um, despite a number of interviews, I just, I was woefully unprepared for case interviews. Um, had zero intuition. Um, but then, you know, things changed for full time. And so what happened between kind of um, that undergrad, uh, like that summer um, between your junior and senior year and kind of grad and graduation and kind of looking for full time? Um, did you kind of have a shift in focus? And, and what did you end up doing that summer? Was it um, like, I just want to keep studying to get that internship and practice more cases or what, what happened? That summer, again, the summer between junior and senior year, um, I had an internship at a healthcare IT company. Um, and the focus there was on marketing and business development. And so I learned more of that intuition of that business sense. I learned more of, you know, just, it was surprising how you just have this development intuition for the idea of profitability or, or you know, sales or revenue or growth. It was, it's just it's something that's completely a foreign concept, or at least it was a foreign concept for me, um, someone who was thinking more about, you know, organic chemistry and physics and cancer biology prior. Um, so I developed the intuition through this internship, which is phenomenal. And then also during the summer, I paired up with a, a close friend and we did cases um, a couple times a week throughout the summer. So by the time I hit campus, um, I had done 50 live practice cases um, and I had um, basically had, you know, relationship building calls with a couple people in all of the top 15 consulting firms. Um, it was kind of that big focus of the summer to kind of fill the gaps in my knowledge, fill the gaps in my familiarity with these companies um, and, and work hard to, to get the role and be, you know, considered um, for a full-time position. And Harry, a lot of folks know that you're kind of like a master um, kind of relationship builder. Um, most folks know you, and I, I think even within the healthcare um, like club community, as one of the people that is, is the most well-connected. Is that kind of where this initial like desire to 
to collaborate and get to know as many people started? Or was this something that was intrinsically part of you kind of even when you were younger um, and realizing you wanted to, to just know more people? I think someone, when I was a junior, originally recruiting for the internships, um, someone kind of explained to me the kind of the formula to, to, to be successful in recruiting. It's, it, and it's very similar to what, again, MBAs are told. You know, their MBAs are told that you need to develop relationships with people and all the consulting firms. They need to know you. Um, and I can validate that as someone who was um, kind of recruited Emory students into Deloitte, I knew that relationships were really important. So just kind of over and over, I've seen, um, whether it be from my experience and, and um, finding success from trying this, but also seeing other people's experiences is relationships are, are really important for some of these types of things. Um, they can, you know, help provide you information and clarity about these companies so that you know what you're getting yourself into and you know help you seem to be a more um help validate that you are someone that could you know jive with the company's culture and so um that's something i've just kind of seen worked and i've i haven't stopped and, and so harry um you you kind of are, are practicing over the summer um and kind of realizing that you want to go into consulting um and, and then, as, as many folks know, you, you interview and then you get this amazing job and, and you become a consultant. Um, what was that like to, to first start? Like, was it what you were expecting? Was it more than what you were expecting? Um, like, when you first start, um, what was that moment like? Yeah, the, the moment of, like, learning. So you're saying you're asking what is, like, the moment of being a coming consultant? Yeah, I guess in terms of you, you, um, you have like this vision of what you're trying to, what you want to do and kind of um, you're switching over a little bit more to the business side, even though you like healthcare. Um, and then you, you get this amazing job. And um, when, you, when you first start, um, was it with kind of a group of people that you were excited to work with? Um, uh, what, was, what was going through your mind when you're first starting this new opportunity? I was excited. I was ecstatic. I still remember to this day um, a person who would become my um, counselor at the firm. So at the firm, you have almost like this person who's a sponsor for you through different to help you navigate the firm. Um, and that my my counselor, who eventually become my counselor, uh, the first day on the job, or at least the, the beginning, like all the analysts are sitting in this room. And unfortunately, it's not the case anymore. All the analysts would get this conference room, and you sit in this room. And you'd like fill out all the like onboarding and you'd like you know dress up in your new work clothes that you like never wore before and it was a bunch of it was it was almost like being a freshman in college again it was just like your bunch of i don't know 21 22 year olds like sitting together and trying to figure out what the new world's like and, you know where are you living how's it be kind of more of an adult i'm sitting in this room i'm really excited um, I'm told that, again, you have to still continue to build relationships within the firm. It's like just because you got in the firm, it's not enough. You have to build relationships in the firm to help you navigate this kind of very unstructured world. And um, I was I was doing that. And this person, he, he came over to me and said, hey, I need your help on something. Um, 
someone else told me I should come talk to you. And I said, okay, sure. And he came up to me and said, well, you know, here's a situation. We have this company. It's going to buy this other company. We're trying to sell this work. And we basically need to make a proposal for why we Deloitte should, should provide these consulting services. And I need you to help me on this. We need to do this now. And honest to God, I thought he was kidding. I thought he was just making it up. And this was almost like a, a training 2.0 exercise of evaluating if you are good and also trying to teach you how to do this type of stuff. Um, and that night we stayed in the office until one o'clock at night and we worked really hard through the weekend. And from then on, I kind of knew that that was like kind of the pace that I was going to be uh, moving at for a number of years and kind of uh, five years of, of that. And it, it definitely waxed and waned on intensity. Um, I did that work and I, and I gotta say, I really did enjoy my time in consulting. I, I learned a ton. I developed fantastic relationships with colleagues and clients. Um, and got to see a lot of, of, of the world of industry, but also literally the world traveling to Hawaii three times in a year, India, all over the United States and beyond. So, um, again, so sorry, I keep doing this here. I, I, I you kind of answer this question at this point in time and I, I, I take it and run too far. No, and Harry, as, as many folks know, kind of that, that experience has catapulted you to, to accomplish a ton of amazing things. Um, uh, kind of most people know now you kind of, you ended up here at Berkeley and they're now kind of doing some incredible things at the intersection of kind of healthcare, AI and technology. Um, Harry, as, as we kind of wrap up here, is there anything else you'd want to leave with our audience today about um, yourself or anything that you want to share? Oh, no, I mean, I, um, I've recently been working hard at, you know, finding some, some, the balance in life, some, you know, really finding, you know, focus in the work that I'm doing, both all the professional work, all the personal work and the interpersonal work. And so, um, it's been a, a wonderful journey and I, I'm excited for much more. And I just want to thank you for helping, you know, having this conversation today and helping me think about the journey thus far. Once again, that was Harry Goldberg. Um, Harry is just an overall incredible individual, and he's kind of pursuing um, this incredible career trajectory and kind of developing new tools for physicians that are AI and ML focused and enabled. And Harry, it's just been a pleasure getting to know you throughout kind of the, the Berkeley experience. And thanks again for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks, Brian. Look forward to seeing you soon.